Morena Tefana. Um, kids, uh, there are some activity packs. If you want to grab an activity pack up front here, just to my left, your right, so you can run up there at any point, at any time, and grab some, uh, an activity pack up there. Um, before I get into preaching, um, just a big thank you to, to you, Kerry, for uh, the amount of work she puts in getting the Advent ready for us is amazing, and she's been doing it for a number of years, and then she gets her team together and they do things like this, or the little nativity set in front of the, uh, the church, so thank you very much for all the work you've put into doing that. The team last week, Jackie, Glenn, and Andy, that was a pretty cool service last week, huh? Yeah, they did a great job last week, so big round. Um, I'm just going to take a moment right now. I just want you to, I know kids are going to be running around at all, but if you could just close your eyes for just a moment. Before I get into the sermon, there's just a couple of things I want to acknowledge. Many of us here today at this festive time, we just want to take a moment to just remember the whanau who are not here with us, the loved ones who have moved on to be with our Lord. And while they're in a better place, we still are here and are missing them. And in a season like this, it's difficult. And I pray the Lord just blesses you in this time. For some of us, Christmas is not always a positive thing. For some of us, this is a season where we're looking for healing, where we're hurting. Just want to take a moment to acknowledge that. May the Lord God, our God, bless you and cover you with his spirit. Father God, I just want to lift up our hearts to you this week. It is a joyous time. We are reminded of Jesus. We are reminded of what you have done for us, Lord. And we're about to hear the story again and, and be reminded of this. But this is also a time of family, of coming together. And for some of us, this has been a rough year. And for some of us, Christmas is not what it used to be. So I lift those hearts to you, Lord our hearts to you. Bless us, Lord, I pray. Cover us in your spirit with your love. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you a story. It starts with this verse. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to that house and the line of David, and he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, we hear this story every year, and every year we, we hear it, but just reading this tells me so much 
about what's really going on here. The first word I want to highlight is this town, Nazareth. When I moved here, when we moved here in 2010, we, we, we came to Christchurch, our first experience of New Zealand. And you know what people would ask me all the time when they first met me? Anyone from Christchurch? The first question they ask you is what high school you went to. It's a Christchurch thing, right? And I kind of look at them and go, dude, why do you want to know what Christchurch? I mean, do you even know where I'm from? <laughs> you know? But because Christchurch for so long, it, 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 yeah, before the earthquakes in particular, everyone was mostly from Christchurch. And you could determine a lot from a person by what high school they went to. Right? So, you know, and I, I was just like, oh, how, how do you, you know, if you go to Wellington and you're hanging out and they ask you, where do you live? And you say, Nai Nai. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know what? Well, by the way, this is a side story. When, when I left a power Baptist to come to this church, in, uh, I was in Christchurch, moved to here. I'd never been to Lower Hutt before, so I, I don't know. I didn't know anything about it, right? And they were like, you're leaving us for Lower Hutt? We thought you were stepping up in the world, Rob. I thought you were going to leave us for something better. I was like, really? <laughs> we have these preconceptions, right? You know, if you've got money and you can afford to buy a house, you're not going to buy it in Nine Nine, right? That's the way people think. There's something wrong with you. I know, I, love, I live in Nine Nine. Okay, nothing wrong with Nine Nine. But, but that's how preconceptions of of places and things, like the high school you go to already determines in people's minds who you are. It's fascinating. It's like me saying I'm Australian. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful, isn't it? I, I, I don't see myself as Australian just because I was born there. I, I just, I'm, I'm an immigrant. My parents were immigrants. But, but you know, in, in a Kiwi's mind, immediately, immediately, again, in Christchurch, my first year, this kid, it was 19, 20 years old, comes up to me and he goes, so what do you think about the underarm incident? I said, dude, your parents weren't even born then. <laughs> when the readers at the time read Nazareth, they have a preconceived view. It's immediately to them, there's something that triggers. It doesn't do anything for us today because we've got no relationship with Nazareth. But for them, they read that and they think, huh? I thought this story was about the Messiah, like the guy who's going to change everything, and he comes from Nazareth? Not many prime ministers come out of Nainai, or world leaders come from Stokes Valley. That's, that's the feeling they would have gotten. What, Nazareth? And even in the Bible, you hear this. You know, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, which itself was a dodgy little town. Philip found Nathanael and said, told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? You, you can see immediately there's this preconceived view about Nazareth. Like, what, what's the deal? Why is this such an issue? It's because you just don't expect anyone to come, or any good, to come out of Nazareth. 
which kind of opens the door to a whole lot of thinking, doesn't it? There's a whole lot going on there. Now, these guys had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, right? It's about 150 kilometers with a pregnant woman and a donkey. Takes five days. I'm not sure it had shock absorbers on that donkey, but it would have been a very uncomfortable trip. So the question you've got to ask is, if Joseph is from Bethlehem and his family lineage is from Bethlehem, what's he doing in Nazareth? Something's just not right there. Which leads me to the second word, pledged. They were pledged to be married. Basically, it means they weren't married. Now, you've got to understand, we don't get the Nazareth thing because we just don't know Nazareth. We don't get the whole marriage thing in the old times, which arranged marriages, by the way, were pretty much the norm up until about, what, 100 years ago? Most of human history, it was all about arranged marriages. And this would have been no different. In fact, ancient times, it was the way to go. And so the way it worked, especially in Jewish society at this time, was they send the kids off to school, primary school, Beth Shefer, they'd go there till the age of 12, after which they would then follow, the boys would follow in their, most probably their father's profession. The girls would learn how to be good at home and they'd be married. If you're really, 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 really smart, you would stay on for high school. But this is not school like we know it today. You didn't learn geography, you didn't learn science. French wasn't a thing at the time. They had to learn, memorize the first five books of the Bible so that everybody by the age of 12 understood the law. And if you're really, really good at it, they'll let you go on and study the prophets, study some of the rabbinic teachings. And if you're really, 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 really good, you become a rabbi. But that was like the 1% of the 1%. All the kids, by the time they hit 12, were out. Now, parents would organize from a very early age who the kids would marry. They would negotiate amongst themselves with other parents which kid was going to marry which kid. And by the time they turned 12, it would be formalized. A year before or the last year of school, they'd be formalized as a pledge. Now, this pledge was not like we consider, I don't know, engagements today where you get a nice little ring and then you go look for venues. This is far more intensive. It would involve promises. You would almost think of it as a contractual agreement. They wouldn't have thought of it like that back then, but we would see it and think, yep, that's... It would take a lot for that to break. And we've got to understand, we think it's archaic today. I'm very grateful that I have happened to choose my wife. Because if we're up to my mum, it most probably wouldn't be the case. She would want some good Italian girl. So I'm grateful to God that I have the choice to choose my wife. But for most of humanity's history, that was not the case. She won't. By the way, mum doesn't, doesn't agree to that now, does she? <laughs> She's like, Monica's the best thing ever. Yeah, not when we were dating at the time. But anyway, this foreign girl, who's this? 
And parents are like that, but the reality was that's the way it was. They were pledged to be married. Now, the strange thing about this pledge in this situation is that Joseph's family heritage line is down in Bethlehem. He's up in Nazareth where Mary's family's from. That's unusual. And so, you know, you've got to kind of assume, what's going on here? Why is Joseph in Nazareth and not in Bethlehem? Well, there's a lot of speculation around this, but the more obvious answers are that his father most probably died when he was young, and his mother was either a widow or divorced and would have had to have left the family home. Now, there's a reason why the Bible talks a lot about caring for the widow because this was something that society did not do. Did not do at all. I was in, um, we are in Morocco. Now we flew into Tangier, it was very late at night, and we um, went to our Airbnb, it was in this tall high-rise apartment, and it was late and everyone went to bed, there was four of us, and I got up early the next morning and thought I'll go down and get some breakfast. I don't speak, they speak Spanish there, they speak French, and they speak Arabic, and I'm thinking I'll wiggle my way through this as I do, right? Um, And I'm walking the streets, I come around the corner from where we were, and I'm walking down the street, and on the side of the road, there's a homeless lady, young, might be late 20s, early 30s, and it was surprising to me. It caught me a bit off guard, because here in New Zealand, the majority of homelessness is because of mental health. You don't normally see a person who seems relatively well-groomed and well-cared for living on the streets. This woman seemed quite normal, but she had laid out a bed, she had a few bags next to her, and she was getting up and she was grooming herself, and I didn't want to embarrass her or, or myself, to be honest, so I just kept walking. Went and got all the stuff for breakfast, and then I started walking back. When I walked back to the spot where she was, she wasn't there. But there was a two- or three-year-old girl propped up against the wall. I hadn't seen her when I walked by. She must have been still in the blankets, sleeping. But she was up, rubbing her eyes, just getting the sleep out of it. Mum had gone, and she was just quietly, her hair a little bit disheveled, and sat up against the wall. And it shocked me to no end. We would... Never see that in New Zealand. We would never see that in Australia. Why? Because we have a system in place that doesn't allow for that to happen. It may happen, but it's very rare. And I couldn't believe, I couldn't get the image out of my head. This little girl propped up against a cold wall in the middle of a street as if it's normal. So we were going out for a tour that day and I asked the guy, I pulled him aside, I said, hey, look, I saw this this morning, what's going on? And he said to me, she's either divorced or she's a widow. I'm like, really? Like, don't you have things in place? And he just kind of looked at me like I was strange asking these questions. In a society that's ancient, that's old, like Morocco, they haven't changed the attitudes that they most probably still had in biblical times where if you're a widow and you've got no family support or you're divorced, you're an outcast. 
And so you've got to go make your own way. And then Jesus came along and changed that completely. He said, we can't keep doing this. The feeling here is that Joseph most probably was there because either his mother was an outcast or he was an outcast. But he's got to make his way back. And get this, he's got to go back with his pregnant girlfriend. There's a reason why, especially in Jewish society, but most of the ancient cultures wanted their kids to get married young. You know, 13 was the age of when they became aware, and we don't want them getting pregnant because that's a social pariah. There's nothing worse than an out-of-wedlock pregnancy. So let's get them married, get them sorted. That way, it's all legit. Here's Joseph. Going back to a home that most probably... Didn't want him there. With his wife, not wife, girlfriend, pregnant. And they're like, what, 13 years old? And by the way, it's, it's a fascinating thing. When we think about it today, we don't, again, we don't, we don't quit because we know the story so well. But when, when, when it says the Holy Spirit got her pregnant, I can imagine what the teachers of the law would have said in those days. What are you talking about? There's nothing in the Bible that states God impregnates women. Where did this come from? This is Greek mythology. This is Zeus doing his thing. It's Persian mythology. It's, it's Babylonian mythology. This is not God. You imagine how poor Mary had to deal with it. Or poor Joseph who had to deal with it. Because the teachers of the law would never buy into something. They think this is crazy. Because there is no other, there's no instance in the Bible where this seems to happen. Matthew unpacks it a little bit more. He says, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the Lord and did not want to expose her to the public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. When you're pledged, it's a divorce. You've got to untie the whole thing. And this would have been all he could do. But the Lord said, no. Stick it out. So this is the story that we take for granted, but this couple went through a lot. This Christmas that we celebrate in a great way, and we, we do because it is a joyous time. It is an absolutely joy. But we forget that what Mary and Joseph had to go through, from where they come from, from, from what society would have most probably put upon them at the time. And when we talk about the inn, let's go to this. We've got Jesus, uh, Joseph who went up to Nazareth. They were pledged to be married. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Be born and she gave birth to her first son, a son, and a firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger. And because there was no guest room available for him. We've had this idea that it's an inn. But the thing is, Bethlehem's not like got a, a road with a whole lot of motels that you just go around knocking on, you know, with a no vacancy signs out the front. I mean, it's a cute image, but it didn't work like that. While they were 
roadside inns, they were family homes. And unlike us today, again, you've got to kind of think, it's kind of crazy because it's a, it's, all, it's a different world. Today, we all have bedrooms. Homes back then didn't have bedrooms. They had one room, and everyone slept in it. Think about, um, I don't know, uh, American Indians in their teepee. They all slept in the teepee. It's the same concept. In the ancient world, they all slept in a, only very, very, very wealthy people had multiple rooms. The majority of people just had the one big room, sometimes maybe two rooms. And in this case, because they're all going to Bethlehem, because the family came together, this was a family event. Everyone was going to Uncle Joe's for the Bethlehem census time. But the problem was, the family would have nothing to do with them. Can you imagine a young couple showing up, one pregnant, and you're telling them, we've got no room here on the floor for you. It's not like there's no bedroom available because there is no bedroom. It's just an open room. But we're not going to let you sleep with us. There's no room for you. Um, houses would have looked like this. There's a typical kind of street scene. And as you can see, something like this, the, the person's home that they're going to is someone who could house most of the family. They can all go there. It's what they call an upper room. You go up off the ground because the roads were kind of full of dust and dirt and animals, lots of animals. Um, and you see this little alcove at the bottom here on the right. That's where they would have put their pets, their uh, cattle, their sheep, the horse, whatever they had would go there. They have a little trough with food and stuff in it, hay and water, and that's where Mary and Joseph ended up. So when you think, let's, let's non-sterilize this, she's giving birth basically on the side of the road because in front of her there are people going back and forth, doing their thing. Now, of course, it's different times, sure. And on top of that, the law would have stated that she would have been unclean after she gave birth, so she would have had to stay there for seven days, at the very least. And upstairs, the family are partying away. It's a rough time for them, hey? And you've got to ask the question, why, why, why Jesus? How, how much trust do you think he needs to have for this plan to work out? The greatest plan in all human history, the plan of salvation, is entrusted to uh, unwed teenage nobodies, rejected by their own families, rejected and left on the side. Jesus chose to bring about the greatest plan through them. This story doesn't tell us what we need to do to get to God. It shows us how much God will do to get to us. He will do anything to reach you. And this is what Christmas is all about. I know we have our traditions, and I'm looking forward to a massive feast tomorrow and all of this. Because I'm a skinny guy, I need to grow a bit more. Thank you. That's all good. Family time is all good. But it's actually about how much Jesus 
loves you. You. This is what it's about. It's the greatest gift. And he didn't just live aloft from where his parents were from. He lived with them in Nazareth. He allowed to be born in that little alcove on the side of the road. He allowed himself to be raised by these people that we in, if you're from Wellington, you'd think they're from Nainai. Or if you're in New Zealand, like they're from Australia. Whatever the case is. He endured it as much as his parents did. He endured it all the way to the cross. This is the greatest gift. And the greatest gift is that you are loved. So, as you head out today, I know for some of you, you might be carrying a heavy heart. Some of you might be feeling a little bit, meh. Others of you are thinking, oh, I've got to cook. (laughs) I've got to get things ready. Just take a moment, put everything aside. Let the Lord embrace you. Let him cover you and let yourself be known that you are loved dearly in this season. Amen. I ask our music team to come up. It's like half the church has gotten up. It's like, <laughs> through all the dims of the life of this world that is around us, through all the dims of everything that is shadowing your heart at times, through all the dim of preparation and stress, and through all the din of the joys and the unwrappings, may you stop for a moment and know that Jesus loves you deeply. Loves you deeply. You, you, you. Lord God, open our hearts to that. May we walk away from today and as we venture into tomorrow, know that we are deeply loved. Praise you, God, for this season. Praise you, Lord, for this amazing, amazing, amazing story. I can only come from you, Lord. Bless us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to stand, and as we go out, we're